Diana, and I love printing and design, typography and branding, books and publishing. I've traveled the world learning about trends to share with my students and with my readers. But I haven't forgotten where I started, writing papers about paper on paper. And now, I've created a podcast to share what I know with you. So, let's talk paper scissors. started this podcast exactly 28 months ago with a gut feeling, a creative urge, and a curiosity about all things podcasting in an industry that is very highly visual. I could not have predicted what this would morph into, as well as all of the incredible people I feel really privileged to have spoken with, including designers and printers, typographers, artists, activists, and so many passionate students. Here's a quick trip down memory lane. This is from episode one about what this podcast meant to me in November 2019, and I was so nervous recording it. Sometimes I might dole out advice, and other times I will be completely upfront about not knowing what the heck I'm doing, like right now with this whole podcasting format that's very new to me. Uh, Some episodes will be longer, some will be shorter, some will be released close together, some further apart. Some will address topics of design uh, and typography, etc. directly, and others will live more on the periphery of those topics. So all of this is good. No expectations. Not every episode will be for everyone, and I think that's okay too. But the one thing I can promise you, the listener, is that I'm not taking any of this too seriously. So this is a creative... Uh, a sacred creative space that fills me up. No pressure, no expectations, just good, fun, interesting content. And that's what I promise. Good, fun, interesting content and not taking myself too seriously. And my hope is that my best podcast episode today will be my worst a year from now. That will have meant that there was growth and learning and evolution. And I think all of those things are a very good thing. I feel very fortunate to say that this podcast has acted as my umbrella for two plus years, both helping me weather the storms by remaining my creative go-to in challenging times, as well as housing my collection of multidisciplinary interests and topics. I still get fireflies in my stomach, kind of like butterflies, but as it relates to falling in love with your creative practice, when planning and dreaming and crafting ideas for new episodes. It really is like my creative fuel. But this episode isn't supposed to be a love letter to my podcast. No, it is all about desert island typefaces. You know, the one you would choose to use forevermore if stranded on a desert island with only a single font file to use. (gasps) The horror. In speaking with many guests over the last 99 episodes, I loved asking them about their desert island typeface choices and hearing all of the different answers and perspectives. Many were practical text face choices with good readability, while others were a little kooky and full of whimsy. Let's revisit a few of my personal favorite answers to the question, if you could choose only one typeface to use for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Here's Chris Rouleau, graphic designer, letterer, and artist in episode 20. I've always, always, always been a fan of Futura. 
and the future of family. So that would probably be my short answer. And let's hear from Nadine Chahin, one of the world's foremost experts in Arabic typography in episode 44. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) In Latin or in Arabic? (laughs) Uh, Either. Oof. I, I will not pick one of my typefaces because that's cheating. I think currently on Arabic, I'm a big fan of Calibri Arabic. I, I would pick that one. Um, it's very well drawn. It's friendly. It's, it's um, excellent proportions. The designer, Mahmoud Sakal, is brilliant. And, and I, I just love reading in it. So I, I like to be with it, that typeface. It's, it's good. With Latin, I've always used to say it's Frutiger. Currently, I would say I would like a version of Frutiger with less contrast. And then that one will be the one. Here is the incredible Ellen Lupton, writer, curator, educator, and designer, in episode 54. Well, currently, I'm in love with New Rail Alphabet, which is the typeface we used in Extra Bold. And it was designed by Margaret Calvert in the early 1960s. She is a British type designer and information designer who helped design the highway and transit signs of the United Kingdom. And this typeface was beautifully digitized by A2 Type Foundry um, in collaboration with Margaret Calvert and is a fantastic Helvetica alternative (laughs) that's just legible and open and humane and was created to kind of unify society and make people safe when they cross the street and drive down the road. Uh, So to me, it, it really exemplifies graphic design's public purpose. And it's created by one of the great women of 20th century graphic design. And reaffirming his choice, Here's Chris Rulo again in episode 66. I think last time, I remember what I said last time, and I still cannot totally think of a typeface family that is more versatile and that I would actually use. So I still stand by Futura. Here's Olivia Kane, graphic designer and podcaster in episode 69. Oh my gosh, this is a t- this is a tough question, especially because as someone that's so well versed in type, we all know you can't just use one typeface for everything. As you know, you can't be like a Massimo Vignelli about life. I mean, it would be very fun. I would choose Cooper Black, and it's such an icon. It's such a classic. It is on so many things that have made people smile. It is a goofy little goober (laughs) in the end like uh, there's so many reasons I recently Vox did this really great history deep dive into Cooper Black and like its existence yeah throughout throughout time and um I love the fact that it was made in the 20s like it was made in this era of advertising and like you know it I can't believe it's still around and has been consistently used for decades and like that makes me confident if I had to use anything, I could use that. I also think I, um, during that video that Vox did, they talked about how none of the letter forms have flat bottoms. They're all rounded. And so therefore, it makes it 
look good when it's in typesetting scenarios that are unconventional. So like you could kind of do maybe a bouncing baseline with your Cooper Black and have letters kind of askew and uh, kind of you know expressed in that certain way and it would look good or you could kind of jumble them up a little bit and I think because they have such an organic feel to them I mean I could go on I mean Cooper Black's so warm it's friendly it's inviting like you you can convey a message in Cooper Black and you know no one's gonna think you're being cold or harsh because there's already kind of like this huggableness to the font that I love how like tactile it feels um I love that it's been used on the Beach Boys album but like also on my ramen noodles packaging I I think that Cooper Black is a super um, just timeless font and, you know, I, I can't get enough of it. So that's the one. That's my desert island pick. <laughs> and how about Jonathan Vallelli, writer, zinester, and creative type around town in episode 76? This is such a hard question. And I, I, haven't, I haven't heard that many of the episodes where people have decided, but I know that everyone agonizes a little bit. Yes. Um, <laughs> so... I thought about this for a long time as I was falling asleep last night because I knew I would have to answer this in the morning. I thought I'd let it marinate overnight. And as I was falling asleep, should I only just say one? Because I can say what I was almost going to say. Say what you were almost going to say. Tell me what you dreamt. I was, right. I was like, I was falling into sleep and I, I just, I said, I, I was thinking, Garamond, of course. Oh, of course. Which is such a huge family and also lots of different varieties. So I thought maybe I was getting away with something. But when I woke up and I was thinking about Letraset, I went a complete 180, and I think I would say universe, which is a really common letter set sheet and is one that I I see myself reaching for very often whenever I'm thinking, what am I going to, you know, which one am I going to use for this or that? I'm going for the universe all the time. It's just very versatile. It's a a nice sans serif, which is something I don't always necessarily want to choose, but I know is going to make be easier for someone to read a lot of the time. And um, and it's it's kind of undersung these days. It's kind of gotten drowned out in the bazillions of sans serifs. Uh, I don't think it's an Adobe font, you know. So maybe that's part of it. Um, but it's it's a special one. And finally, Paul Twa, graphic designer and illustrator, in episode ninety-five. Mm, uh, such a good question. Such a good question to ask. Um, I. I was, I, I think I leaned towards something that sort of followed me already through my life and career, which is Din Pro. I used that typeface for so many projects um, throughout my university days into my career. Um, it's a good, reliable typeface with many different weights. And I did uh, recently learn that it was what a version of Din was used for the Tokyo 2020 games for the, the logo type. So I thought Din is the one that's followed me. I know I can use it for a good amount of time. So I'll hopefully continue using it in the future. So I think that would be my choice. My sincerest thank you to each and every one of my guests who have generously gifted me with their time, their energy, and their expertise over the last 99 episodes. And this brings us to the very special second part of today's episode that I cannot wait to share with you. I've said time and time again that my desert island typeface that I use for just about everything is Proxima Nova. From the mid-2010s 
onwards, Proxima Nova has become the world's most popular commercially paid-for font on the web, and it now exists as a family of 48 fonts. I am so excited to introduce the creator, the designer, the mastermind behind Proxima Nova, Mark Simonson, who is here with us today. Mark Simonson is a lettering artist and an independent type designer based in St. Paul, Minnesota. He is best known as the creator of the typeface Proxima Nova, but he also has over 30 type families in the retail market comprising more than 230 fonts. Mark began his career in the mid-1970s as a graphic designer and an art director for magazines as well as product and collateral design. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, he also became a web designer. Mark became interested in typography in college, and he actually submitted a typeface to the ITC in the late 1970s, but it was rejected. So when postscript fonts for Mac became a thing, Mark realized that maybe he didn't have to go through a publisher and he could release it himself. He published a few digital postscript fonts in the early to mid-1990s with slow uptake, but when people started selling fonts on the web in the early 2000s, he jumped on it, and things started snowballing. He began working on creating fonts full-time around 2005. Mark was so generous with his time and his knowledge, and I'm really excited for you to hear about his inspirations and his process for designing type. I was nervous chatting with such a legend, and thank you, Mark, for making all of my type dreams come true. At the end of our conversation, I couldn't help but ask Mark about his choice for Desert Island typeface. Yeep! But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Mark, what is Proxima Nova's origin story? Okay, well, I can go back to, uh, it sort of goes back to an idea that I had when I was really first starting to think about um, type design back in, I, I was working at a small advertising art studio in the, about 1976, 77, 76. And they, they had a lot of, um, this is when I was really sort of trying to imagine, uh, like I re, sort of getting halfway serious, at least as a pipe dream kind of thing of designing typefaces. And they had these, uh, specimen books from Alphabet Innovations and Type Spectra, which were, they made film fonts, so fonts for headlines and uh, it's a phototype system, uh, typositor, things like that. Anyway, they had a, had a typeface called Spectra, um, which was a sort of a blend of Helvetica and Futura. And I thought it was a really interesting idea. They, they, they did this sort of thing all the time, uh, both with type sector and alphabet innovations. Uh, I think Phil Martin was the head of that type designer. Um, and I like this idea of like taking one or two or more typefaces and coming up with a, a hybrid that's based on that, that those typefaces. And this specter of font, um, I didn't think it was very successful like as a design. It mostly looked like Helvetica pretending to be Futura, I guess you might say. Um, On so Halloween, like, maybe. Yeah, like it was just wearing a disguise. <laughs> but you could still tell it was Helvetica. Right. Um, so it had like some of the characteristics of Futura, but it didn't really have 
a separate identity from Helvetica or Futura. Um, and so I, that kind of stuck in the back of my mind. And over the next few years, I, it kept coming back to me and I was thinking about it. And around 1980, I first started thinking of this sort of hybrid sans serif. Um, didn't really do anything with it at the time, but then in the late 80s, I started working on it again around 1990 or so, and then uh, came up with Proxima Sands in 1994. And that was just three styles, there was, uh, or three weights. So it was like regular, medium, and black. I think it was sort of a strange uh, set of weights uh, with italics. And then uh, that didn't do that well. It, it did okay, but then, I mean, it did a little bit of sales, um, but compared to the amount of work I put into it, it was kind of disappointing. Um, but I think there was some definite problems, which is that it only had a limited range of styles. Um, it was just a basic character set, um, which was pretty common back in the 90s for PostScript fonts, but still didn't have small caps or uh, alternate characters or anything like that. Didn't have condensed styles or anything. And in 2002, uh, Rolling Stone magazine started using it as the main sans serif that was used in the magazine. I think this lasted for about a, a couple of years, maybe. That's cool. Um, and that kind of encouraged me. And the other thing was that um, uh, Hefler Frank Jones came out with the typeface Gotham mm -hmm. uh, around 2002. I guess it was actually a custom font for a GQ magazine earlier than that, but I wasn't aware of it. But anyway, when that came out, I, it, I was struck by how similar it was. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, uh, there's, I don't accuse them of stealing the idea or anything like that. I think they came at, at it from a completely different uh, starting point and ended up in sort of the same ballpark, I guess. But um, given the fact that Proxima Sands wasn't that well-known at the time. I don't think that's likely that they even were aware of it. In fact, I've talked to Jonathan Heffler and he said, no, they didn't. They were, they, the first time they saw Proxima Sands was in Rolling Stone. But anyway, uh, encouraged by these things, I thought, well, you know, Gotham was, uh, you know, kind of made a big splash. They were, you know, promoting it very heavily. And I thought, well, you know, this is, I was there first. <laughs> <laughs> with this genre <laughs> and they sort of proved that there was a market for it, a bigger market for that than, than maybe I realized and and so I spent the next few years working on a more expanded version of Proxima Sands uh, which I named Proxima Nova I decided to do a new do it as a new release rather than just a new version of Proxima Sands because there was enough differences that it didn't make any sense to keep the same name there would be problems with backwards compatibility and things like that. And that's where it came from, basically. I, I have never actually put two and two together that Gotham and Proxima Nova kind of do look similar or, or work in similar ways. But that's really interesting that, that the two kind of came about around the same time. And <clears throat> that's, yeah, but as you said, you kind of arrived there from different, different perspectives or different ways. Yeah, they were starting with um, like signage in New York City, which like vintage signage, like, uh, and it was mainly the caps, I think. So uh, I think the caps are 
you know, pretty well done. Like, I think the lowercase doesn't, they, I don't think they had a, they couldn't use the same model for the lowercase. So I think the lowercase is, is a little, it doesn't quite fit in my mind, but uh, it's, you know, that's just my opinion. But, <laughs> but it is Barack the, Obama's font. So, <laughs> right. But I think it's, I think it works best when it's used all caps. Right. Um, the lowercase, I think, is less successful. But. Now, where does the name Proxima come from? I'm curious. About. Well, it, because I, it was a blend of several different sansar, so it was like kind of um, Helvetica, maybe Accidents, Grotesque, um, and Futura, and there's a little bit of News Gothic in there too, and some of the details. Um, so it's the the original idea was that it was approximately or near some other sand serfs. And so it's sort of a play on approximate or, or whatever. And so it was, uh, I think some other names I th had were, um, I don't know, one of them was common sands, which is sort of a groaner, but uh, <laughs> that was sort of uh, maybe a little aspirational, you know? I mean, everybody wants to create a some typeface that's gonna be, used everywhere um, but it almost never happens well i think it happened for you i think this is this is exactly what we're seeing with with uh, proxima nova which is i mean i use it all the time in every every document i create my students are probably um mm. i won't i don't want to say sick of seeing it but they see it everywhere uh for me and, and i think it's such a for me, it's such a typeface that is just very aesthetically pleasing. Like it feels, there's a calmness to it for me. Like I, I don't know what it is about it. Maybe you can shed some light on that, but it, it's very, um, it's, it's all business, but like all business, a little softer. And it just makes mm. looking at my documents that much nicer, even if it's a very complex, icky document that I'm looking at. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's definitely true that typefaces kind of have a personality mm -hmm. or, or sort of a voice. And um, it's something that I just feel intuitively when I look at typefaces and, you know, they're, it's almost, I think it's maybe the same part of the brain that sees faces and recognizes human faces, you know, and, and that it's almost like each character kind of has a facial expression almost, um, you know, like the lowercase e looks like it's smiling and, you know, and, and, it, and I think knowing that you can sort of impart a little bit of personality into the uh, typeface um, to give it a certain feel, like whether it's friendly or, 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 um, you know, f formal, like in sort of no nonsense and maybe stern, I guess, maybe is the, would be the opposite of friendly or whatever but um i think the 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 lowercase a with its sort of rounded bowl uh, gives it a little bit of that feel um you know and that that came kind of from uh that was like a characteristic that i borrowed from cobble uh, the typeface cobble um so yeah it's you know and and the other thing too is is I think it, uh, in general with type design, um, whatever a type designer produces in terms of their, you know, output is very dependent on their their taste and typography. So I think, um, you know, it's just sort of a culmination of what I like and 
and and tight bases and you know um, which I think is is like if I were starting out from scratch and didn't know anything about tight bases you you know you didn't who knows what you ended up with but since I already had a developed taste from working as a graphic designer um, I was kind of drawing on that and looking for something that uh, didn't exist before really but that was something that I would wanted to see that wanted to be able to use myself so yeah I really like the idea of almost a, a typeface being a, kind of a gut feeling like a human mm -hmm. face right so you mentioned that right. that kind of that uh, instinct that you you kind of know what you're looking at and it has a certain look and feel and mm -hmm. maybe familiarity to it and so what is your favorite thing then stylistically if we're thinking uh of of what Proxima Nova is, what, what's your favorite thing stylistically about that design? And then kind of a second part to that is if you could go back and change anything, what would you change and why? I mean, it's, I, I've been working on it now for so long. I mean, you know, if you count the initial, you know, inspiration, you know, since the late seventies. So, um, you know, it's it's hard for me to think about what I would do differently. I have actually made some changes to it over the years, some without really saying a lot about it. But you know, like I uh, just some things that, as I've gained experience, I decided uh, that was not such a great idea. I think I'm, I'm going to sort of quietly fix that. Um, but I guess it, um, you know, it, it. Yeah, I'm not sure what I would change. I think maybe. I think I might maybe change the way that the condensed uh, is designed compared to the the normal width. Um, some of the transitions between like the capital, like the C between going from the regular to the con extra condensed and I think the S, um, I might do those a little bit differently if I started over, um, uh, you know, and, Sometimes I wonder if that the the sort of angled tail on the question mark was such a great idea. It's a, it's a little bit unusual for a sans serif to kind of curve, uh, kind of end in an angle at the bottom like that. Uh, so just some little, little details like that, maybe. Um, do, do you dream in Proxima but, Nova? I feel like you probably know yeah. it so <laughs> so intimately that maybe uh, <laughs> dreams come to you in this typeface. No. <laughs> no, no, not really. I mean, I use it myself quite a bit, um, like as kind of a default in a lot of cases. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's, you know, it's like I'm so close to it. Mm. I, it's in a way I don't see it. But um, um, yeah, I just, I mean, I, my my taste in typefaces is very broad. So uh, sometimes I like working on it if I need, if times when I've had to work on it, it becomes a little bit boring because it's, it feels like it's basically done and, and I'm, you know, I've moved on to other things. So, uh, so in that sense, um, you know, I still, I still like it. I still, um, you know, I think it was, I think it's, it was a very successful uh, design from, you know, from my point of view, not just like how well it's done, but just as a design, I'm, I'm still real happy with it. And, you know, wonder if I, uh, I have some other ideas for sans serifs, but, you know, 
that was probably the one I felt strong, most strongly about. And speaking of marrying the old with the new or kind of thinking, thinking in a new way, um, more recently, Proxima Nova has gone variable with Proxima right, yeah. Vera. Yeah. So within this variable font file, I, uh, there was a, a note on your website that said there were 5 million possible styles <laughs> ranging from extra thin, extra condensed to black italic. Now it's all within yeah. a single font file that is smaller than a few of the styles of Proxima Nova. So what was your mm -hmm. process of reimagining this typeface for as a variable typeface and are variable fonts the future? Um, I think they could be. Um, so far, they they they've been embraced sort of unevenly. They're they've been I think on the web they they've quietly been gaining traction, um, especially because they're more they make more efficient use of um, you know in terms of download and things like that on on a web page. So if you're going to be using a lot of different styles it makes more sense to use a variable font because then it's roughly the equivalent of maybe three or four static fonts. Um, and so if you're gonna, if you wanna use a lot of different widths and styles and things like that, weights, um, it, it makes more, it's more practical and will save bandwidth. It's not a huge amount, but you know, it's like every time you add a font to a web page, it, it and there's an extra download that's required. Um, whereas with a variable font, you can just have one download and it's a bigger than a single font, but you know, you sort of in the long run, if you, it, it saves download time. But, um, and the other thing is just the, um, it opens up possibilities in terms of design, but I'm not totally, I'm not, completely sure if it's what designers were looking for. Mm. Um, I mean, in, in, in one sense, I mean, it used to be that typefaces just came in certain sizes, even in the phototype era, when it didn't, you could do any size you wanted there, you know, practically speaking, but um, like with metal type, there were only, you only had like, you know, six, eight, 10, you know, 11, 12 were different point sizes. Uh, they were very discreet. Um, and I thought, well, you know, if, if we're used to the fact that you can just dial in any point size you want now, why not apply that same logic to the, the, the weight or style or whatever, mm -hmm. and be able to get anything. But I think, I think with some designers, they just sort of want sort of pre-selected, they want to say, well, what, what size, what weights look good, you know, <laughs> and I don't want to have to like, I'm not a type designer. Why do I have to pick, pick the weight? Uh, so you know, almost too yeah. much choice if I'm here. It's almost like too much yeah. choice. Yeah. It's kind of like, like, it's not quite, and I, and I, I can see that. I sort of feel that way sometimes too. I don't, I mean, I, I use the variable version of Proxima um, in some of the things I've been working on, but it's, um, I wonder sometimes if it's maybe, over delivering, you know, like, you know, like providing something that people weren't asking for. Mm. But on the other hand, it, it does give you a lot of flexibility. And so definitely for certain kinds of things, like let's say you're trying to fit headlines into a specific width, um, you can choose between like regular and condensed and extra condensed, but one of them is gonna be too wide and one's gonna be too narrow. You can just sort of dial it in 
and uh, and get the headline to fit exactly. Mm. Um, and you know, you can't really do that with a normal font. Um, right. So, but in terms of developing the design from the Proxima Nova, it was really kind of more like trying to preserve as much of the original design as possible in a variable font. Um, and that wasn't really too difficult because, you know, in my source files for Proxima Nova, it's developed with a similar type of uh, kind of interpolation technology. So I don't draw every single letter of every single style. Um, I just draw like the master outlines and then a lot of the styles are interpolated. Mm. Um, so I think there's, I think there's 12 masters for the 48 different fonts. Um, so I only have to work on 12 different capital A's, not 48 right. or whatever, you know? And uh, so because the source files are already like that, it wasn't a big leap to go to variable version. It's just uh, certain things were trickier to do. And I didn't actually do most of the production on Proxima Vera that was done by a company in Vienna, Vienna called uh, Schrift Labor, um, which is um, the, the head of that is uh, Rainer uh, Schickelbauer. And he, um, He's, he works on the Glyphs app. He's one of the, he like works, is it, I don't know, he's, he's one of the, he's not a programmer, but he does, do, does all the documentation and a lot of the design uh, aspects of Glyphs. I don't know if you're familiar with that app. Yeah, yeah, I haven't used it personally, but I, I know of it, yeah. So, you know, having somebody who actually works on the font editor that I use, that's the font editor I use, mm -hmm. so. Um, I sort of have an inside had an inside track with him working on the variable version for me. So did you have to hand over the keys to Proxima Nova? Like, did was that a <laughs> did that feel a bit strange? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, he he's their their Shrift Labor has been doing production work for me on several of my release releases over the last few years. So I sort of free up my time so I can concentrate on the uh, design part and. And then they can take care of the details and stuff like that. That uh, is, you know, something that I, I could do, but it, it just takes time that I could be used used in something more productive. So, what is your favorite thing about the world of letter forms and designing typefaces and design in general? What's your favorite thing about this world, this industry? Um, yeah, I don't know. In terms of like just type design itself. Um, I think it sort of is a nice fit for my skills and temperament. Um, I, I've been drawing since as long as I can remember. And at one time, you know, like when I was in college, I was sort of thinking I might want to become an illustrator. Um, and, you know, so I've always been like, I, I can draw pretty well. Um, and, so that's how I ended up in commercial art, you know, in the first place. Um, but I often struggle with what I should draw, like a subject matter. And with a typeface, it's like, you don't have to worry about that. You already have the alphabet. You don't have to think of a story. You don't have to think of a, um, 
you know, an idea. He's, you know, you're never faced with a blank canvas, so to speak. You have a really um, good constraint in front of you, 26 letters. Yeah, right. And so it's just draw, figuring out different ways you can draw those 26 letters. Um, and in the, you know, it seems kind of, like you say, constraining, but at the same time, the number of possibilities within that, those constraints is nearly infinite. So um, the other thing too is, uh, I, I, and this is maybe something that's changed as I've gotten older, but uh, it, it can be kind of boring and tedious to make a typeface because um, you're, you're talking about hundreds of characters and um, thousands and thousands of details that you have to pay attention to. And, uh, and it takes time. It takes a lot, long time to make a typeface, especially a family of typefaces. Um, but I find that it, it's just like the right amount of art and engineering for my temperament. And I, and I just kind of zone out and when I'm working on, on type design. And I, I just, I also enjoy the, the, the effective, like what different shapes letters can do to like, like you, you think of like a certain kind of lowercase a or, or G or an S or something like that. And well, like what would the rest of the alphabet look like? And it's, and it's, um, I, I find that just endlessly fascinating how to, to uh, you know, play out uh, how, how the rest of the characters that would look. Yeah, kind of yeah. filling in the blanks or piecing together the puzzle based on a few, a few letter yeah, forms. It is, it is a little bit like doing a puzzle. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, you know, it's this whole, you have to be very systematic and everything has to, all the pieces have to work with all the other pieces. And uh, it's a little bit different than like, say, doing a lettering for a logo or a headline or something like that, where it's just, you just have to, it just has to be work for the, those particular words or whatever. Um, it's, it, I just find it really fun because it's, I mean, it's drawing, but it's kind of abstract drawing. Um, you know, it's not really pictures of anything. Uh, I think Eric Gill said something like, um, uh, letters aren't pictures of things, they are things. <laughs> Or something like that. Now, you mentioned before that you had some other ideas for sans serif typefaces, or uh, maybe at least one that that you have kind of thinking about, or maybe you want to work on. So, are there any spoilers, any any uh, any teasers that you can give us about any plans on the horizon? Um, I guess they'd be hard to describe, um, <laughs> but like I've been working on typeface ideas, you know since like probably 1976 at least. And so I've got a huge sort of uh, collection of sketches of, for ideas. I think I've figured out there was, I have something like 250 or 280 ideas over the years oh my goodness. that are distinct. Like, yeah, I can make a whole font with this idea. So what, um, what's one that gets you really excited? Maybe that's maybe a better question. Um, well, like right now, uh, I'm very close to finishing uh, a script typeface that's kind of like based on sort of a baseball script or like Coca-Cola or beer type script. Um, I'm real excited about that. It's It was one of the more difficult designs I've worked on because, uh, um, you know, compared to like, say, a sans serif, a sans serif is fairly simple and relatively speaking. Um, there's a lot of subtleties to it, but um, none of the characters are what I would say difficult to draw. Whereas in a 
script, um, especially the capitals can be difficult to work out uh, since there's so much, so many different possibilities compared to like a sans serif. Um, so that I'm kind of excited about that. Um, Does that have a name? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'll reveal it yet because I, I think I, there, we have a working name. I have a working name, but uh, I'm not sure if it'll be the, the name it ends up with. I'm pretty sure it will. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just say it. It's, it's a dreamboat, oh. I think is the name I'm currently thinking of calling it. I but, like it. Yeah. It, it's very pretty and kind of voluptuous. And so it sort of fits. I don't know. And I'm also working on a com companion serif typeface to go with Proxima. Ooh. Um, that's actually what I'm working on right now. You know, it's not just Proxima with serifs. It's, it's actually meant to, you know, be a kind of harmonious and contrasting in a way that, uh, I mean, it's, people have asked me ever since I did Proxima Nova, especially, um, like, well, what serif typeface works with this you know and it was a question i didn't really have an answer to um, um so you're making that answer you're manifesting that yeah, answer yeah and it took I, I had several different ideas ways to do it one was just to add serifs to the proxima that didn't really seem to work that well and you know like either as a slab serif or maybe a little bit more contrast so i kind of abandoned both those approaches and ended up doing something that was based on an idea that I had was that kind of came together in a similar way to Proxima, which is taking, combining different, you know, well-known serif typefaces into something that is kind of a hybrid in the same way, um, but also harmonizes with Proxima. So it's, it's not like just Proxima with serif, it's, it's meant to be Sort of a, like I say, a companion, uh, something that would look well together. It has, it has some things in common, like the proportions and you know, X height and things like that. So you can easily use them together, and they they go together. Even though you know, if you look at the details of the way the letters are constructed, they're different. Yeah, that's that's such a neat thing that that you're again trying to come up with this. Uh, th this companion for Proxima mm -hmm. that that works uh, that's a serif typeface and that again it mm -hmm. kind of has a similar backstory to Proxima whereby you're looking at type that's out in the world and trying to kind of piece piece two or more typefaces together um, in an interesting way. Yeah, so it has elements of like century and elements of times and elements of like plantain and some other things like that. So. Um, type love children right. yeah yeah I, I i really like the idea of like hybrid i mean i what like i've taken two different mainly two different approaches to type design um one is this hybrid idea where i think well like i have a typeface called coquette and i didn't i wasn't really thinking of this when i first came up with the concept, but on hindsight, it's basically a cross between um, typo upright and cobble. So it's like a French, typo upright is a French script. Um, so it's kind of like a French script as if it were a sans serif, like with just a, like a cobble, like, um, you know, geometric sans. So it's kind of like this in this 
weird sort of no man's land between those two. And I think that's a really good way to um, come up with new ideas is to recombine, kind of remix mm -hmm. um, other separate ideas yeah. that maybe you wouldn't expect to go, that they would go together. Um, the other thing um, that I do sometimes is I'll see um, like a bit of lettering, like vintage lettering on a kind of package or magazine or book cover or something like that. Um, and you, you think back, like before we had digital type or phototype or anything like that, there weren't that many typefaces. You just had metal typefaces. And if you wanted any, and there weren't that many of them, and they weren't that flexible, you couldn't like reverse out metal type, um, you know, and you couldn't do it on a curve. You couldn't, you know, you're limited to certain sizes. So um, the practice of lettering was very, very common back then. So there were all kinds of people who did just did lettering and they, and that's what they used on magazine covers and book covers and packaging and stuff like that, because it was much more flexible. Well, each of those uh, lettering jobs were like, like an almost like a new typeface every time they, mm -hmm. they did it because they were never exactly the same and they were again influencing each other and they were sometimes influenced by type and sometimes influenced by, you know, different sign painting styles or lettering styles. And so there's this rich sort of history of, of lettering in, especially in the early 20th century. Um, and most, almost none of those uh, ever were turned into typefaces or anything. So what I'll, sometimes I'll do is I will see an old example, something that sort of a style that I see recurring, so that would make a good typeface. And I try to imagine what it would have been if, if say a typeface had been done back in 1930 that looked like that. Um, so some of those are like Acme Gothic and um, Mostra Nuova and uh, you know some of those designs. So it's kind of almost like a, if something had happened in the past, uh, what do they call historical fiction. And that kind of comes back to your idea of taking just a few letters and then building out mm -hmm. an entire alphabet as well. That's such a, right. a neat way to think about it. Yeah. So I have to figure out like there's, we have, you know, a modern typefaces, modern fonts have, you know, hundreds of characters in them. I mean, you look at the old ATF catalogs and metal type catalogs, and it's just basically upper and lowercase and numbers and a little bit of punctuation. And that's it, you know, maybe you get accented characters, but nowadays, like even a basic font has, you know, over 200 characters in it. So you have to imagine, well, what, what would the, um, you know, the, German sharp S look like in this style, you know, it's all one big puzzle. All the different currency symbols. Yeah. And... Yeah. One big nerdy typographic puzzle. I'm in, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm all in okay. <laughs> now in talk, paper, scissors tradition. And I'm so excited to ask you this question. So Mark Simonson, if you could choose only one typeface to use for the rest of your life, what would it be? And why? Well, see, that's that's not really. See, I'm a type designer, <laughs> so I'm not never limited to that. But if uh, you had to, if you <laughs> had to choose one, I know that there, it's it's a tough uh, question. I don't know. I I mean, do I get is can it be a family or is it just a single style? You can say a family. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, my 
my favorite typeface changes almost from day to day. So what's your favorite typeface uh, today? If we had to ship you off to a desert island yeah. with a single typeface on a single computer. Right. I mean, I guess I if I think of it like what what would I be able to live with if I was stuck with it, you know? And um I guess I might say um you know, News Gothic, the News Gothic family. I, I re, I'm a big fan of uh, Morris Fuller Benton and his the typefaces he designed, especially like the Franklin and News Gothic and Sentry faces and stuff like that. Um, so I, I have to say, I don't use them that much anymore. Actually, I'm going to change my mind. There's there's one that I like better, which is um, ATF Garman. Okay. So it's an old metal typeface. Um, and it's not necessarily the best typeface for every use, but it's just so beautiful. I, I'd, I'd be happy using it all the time. That was also Morris Fuller Benton work on that. So That's incredible. Well, I am, uh, as you know, my favorite, my Desert Island typeface is your typeface. And I greatly appreciate you sitting down and chatting uh, today all about type design and uh, the origin story of Proxima and everything in between. So thank you so much, Mark Simonson. You're welcome. I, I enjoyed it. And there you have it. 100 episodes are in the books. Thanks for hanging out with me, and I look forward to the next 100 episodes when we get to talk paper scissors.